0: What are you doing here? It's challenge there. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music to our style of dress, walk, talk, dress, mannerisms. We enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man.
1: Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Tariq Al-Amin, and I greet you with the greetings of peace. As-salamu alaykum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. And for all those observing the holy month of Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak, I pray that your fast is going well. May your fast be accepted. May you come out stronger. Uh, purified with more clarity and and greater intent of purpose uh, at the end of this month inshallah with god's permission now here on the black blue podcast we center the narratives and experiences of black people in america uh, in general and black muslims in america uh, in particular and today i'm happy to have joining me brother jimmy c gardner he is an advocate for the wrongfully uh, convicted wrongfully imprisoned he is also a prison reform advocate uh, and he himself also endured a 27 year uh wrongful uh prison sentence uh, we are pleased and grateful to have him joining us during this blessed month of Ramadan have this conversation Isalamuikum
0: brother how you doing
1: Alhamdulillah. I-, I can't complain uh the fast has been has been good thus far I'm keeping up with my reading uh and I'm yes. I- I'm feeling pretty good how about you? <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I speed up a little bit. I'm on. I'm
1: on our uh, keys. Key seven. Yeah. I, I oh, just really? Seven keys. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah I, <laughs> yeah. I get my reading there.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for for those who are, I mean, I gave a very uh, brief introduction, which really I could have spent uh, a couple of hours talking about um, just in introducing you. Uh, give the audience. Just kind of give them uh, some of your background and what has brought you to this point in your life right now.
0: Okay, um, I'm Jimmy C. Gardner. Uh, I'm um, an exoneree from the state of West Virginia. Uh, 27 years served falsely uh, on a 110 year sentence. I'm a former professional baseball player with the Chicago Cubs organization. I was a pitcher drafted in 1984 played four seasons in the Cubs organization. And in my uh, season in, in, in Charleston, West Virginia, playing in the Sally League, crimes uh, occurred against two separate white women. And these white women were sexually assaulted, robbed, and uh, brutally beaten. And their assailant was described by them as uh, a African-American, a light-skinned African-American that stood about six foot tall myself and six other black guys on the baseball team and over 150 black men in the state of in the city of charleston west virginia we were questioned rounded up taken to the uh, police department photographed, fingerprint nothing matched two years four, two years later i was re- re-questioned by uh, officers that came to tampa came to florida rather and questioned me about the crimes and they ended up saying my fingerprint matched in one of the crime scenes they made a mistake two years uh, prior, So I go to trial on it and we find out at trial later on that there's a guy by the name of Fred Zane who actually testified that my forensic work, my DNA work included me in the cases. So I go to trial with this this fingerprint evidence and the DNA evidence and um, I'm convicted on one case and I put it on the other case and I'm going through all my litigation trying to get heard and find out that fred zane actually falsified the dna reports in my case which actually excluded me as Mm -hmm. the perpetrator and not included me i learned about this in 1994 and it takes me another 20 another 20 20 years approximately before i'm able to get heard by a federal court judge and uh within that process I had been fouling all over, the, all over the place, just trying to get heard, man. Just mm-hmm. trying to get a review. And uh, eventually, in, in April 1st of 2016, I came home. I had my case overturned uh, March 25th, 2016, and but the state of West Virginia was gonna retry me, so I went five more months, and the state of West Virginia dropped all charges after I brought in my DNA expert, of course, they dropped all charges uh on september 7 2016. and i've been home ever since then i've been advocating for wrongfully convicted men advocating for rightly convicted men and women that are doing too much time and 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 just went outside of the guidelines with their sentencing and another other criteria that may have happened but what i do is i speak i'm a motivational inspirational, motivational speaker mm-hmm. and i and i just share share my, my knowledge share the information that I've acquired throughout years of of, of just being, becoming informed and and, and, and as many topics as I can. I just share, share it all with individuals.
1: Mm.
0: I do that now today.
1: Okay. So tell us a bit about, when you say advocating for the, those who have been convicted rightfully, they've actually done something, um, you know, and, and, and the conviction was warranted. Talk talk a bit about, how, what that advocacy looks like. Why would you have to advocate for for those who don't know what this means? And I know most most folks that are from a, most black folks understand what that means, but talk to some who don't.
0: Well, I can give an example of uh, a guy by the name of David Rabb uh, out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, David Rabb was convicted of, of uh, carjacking a woman and actually beating her up, take, just taking a car. And he was given a life sentence plus life without plus 45 years. And he's not saying he didn't do the crime. He did the crime, but the crime, the punishment does not warrant life sentences plus 45 years and have his life taken away from him. David would is an ex-Marine and a United States Army um, uh, individual, a veteran. And uh, this individual was probably one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. And, and the reason I say I fight for those guys is because there, there are so many disparities in sentencing, individuals. You might go in, or I might go in, get get a charge, and we'll get a life sentence, and the next guy, or a different hue, might come in, and he might only get five years, or five years for probation. Mm-hmm. Something to that degree. So how do you explain that? There's, you know, there's, there's just a grave disparity when it comes to sentencing. And individuals getting so much time, taking them away from the home. I know guys with two, three, four hundred year sentences, which is absolutely, you know, insane. Yeah. So, so I fight for those individuals, trying to get those guys rehearings, resentencing, just trying to get them back in court for maybe a second successive pet- petition or appeal, or something to that degree. You know, those individuals need hope, and they need help also. So, just trying to keep hope alive for all individuals to yeah. be able to come home one day. And not just be condemned on, on one act that, or a few acts that may have occurred when they were unconscious. And when I say unconscious, I'm talking about a state of mind.
1: Right, right. Now, can you talk about your what your experience was like? You said once you realized that the DNA evidence had been falsified and uh, and you're basically you're petitioning, you're trying to get um, uh, before the courts to have them re-examine this. And it took how many years did it take from the time you, you found out?
0: Well, we actually the state of west Virginia did an investigation on uh Fred Zane he was a state uh, chief serologist and DNA expert and this individual falsified the evidence in my case which he was later indicted in 1998 and tried on in September of 2001 on the charges of perjury and knowingly testifying falsely the evidence in my case so it took me four years after the trial to, to discover that the prosecution had actually withheld documentation say stating that I was actually totally excluded from the crime and not included. Mm-hmm. But uh the state suborned this individual and brought him in from the state of Texas to testify at my trial in 1990. And January of nineteen ninety he testified that I was included and just did a lot of false testifying and, and perjuring themselves with his with his uh free information with, with his his uh resume, the whole nine. Right. But uh, I found out about that, and and basically, I had an opportunity in 1994 to find out, but it took me another 20 year, another or 18 years to actually get relief or get out of state court and get in the federal court, which another another four years in federal court that actually was a process it took me just to just to be heard for the first time. Unlike every similarly situated prisoner in the state in the United States of America, we ha- the, they, we all have a right to direct appeal and habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. And, and I had neither one in state court. And I actually got accepted in the federal court in the year of 2013. Mm-hmm. That's how long it took me. I got in the federal court to be reviewed and heard for the first time by mm-hmm. the grace of God. Yes. Yeah. And and I got the relief on uh, March 25th, 2016, with my convictions being vacated and a uh, sentence overturned.
1: What does it take? Because I I imagine everybody responds to traumatic situations uh, differently. And incarceration, you know, if if you did it, that's one thing. But if but being innocent and incarcerated, that's a that's a totally different you know uh, ball game, so to speak. What yes. type of uh, focus does it take to continue fighting? Because I imagine that there, there are some who, you know, they, they lose that will to fight and they accept the circumstances that this is what it is. It's, it's too much, uh, to fight. There's no way I'm going to be able to push back against that. What was it that kept you moving forward, uh, that you endured in your pursuit Pushing back against a life sentence, you know, for eighteen years to 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 finally get it overturned. How did how did you maintain that focus?
0: Well, I was sentenced to one hundred and ten years in the uh, West Virginia uh, Division of Correction, and what really kept me my foundation was family. You know, I was trying to get back to my my, my family, my loved ones, my daughter. Just getting back home and making it back out of harm's way. So. I always tell the story of how I went. My first few years of incarceration, I was in punitive segregation. I got in a fight and um, got sentenced to two years of punitive segregation. But during that time, I actually had an opportunity to read and grow and hone in on who I am and just understand the substance of a man, myself. Mm -hmm. And I I tell people, I, I started reading on... On, on, on uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddha, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism. I started reading up on the Harry, the, 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 the Harry uh, the, the Christian about the Vita. I'm yeah. reading everything. Mm-hmm. And that's when I chose, I made the choice to convert to Islam in 1994. Mm-hmm. And it gave me structure. It gave me a foundation, a solid foundation that uh, I needed. And I had to put things in order and realize that I gotta learn the law the fight for my life. And I have to keep myself healthy because I was told that I had high hypertension. So I had to start breathing right, eating right, getting my rest in, working out, which I still do today. All of that, I had to get myself in an in order. Everything works in an order. Right. It, the, the entire planet, everything works within an order. And we all know that. So I felt that I had to get in order. And when I came into Islam, I got order, structure, mm-hmm. peace, direction, mm-hmm. and, and everything became so much more clear. I had the opportunity to read and become encompassed on on just on, 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 on ways of life. And I tell you, that, that really was remarkable for me. And it sustained me throughout 27 years of incarceration, false incarceration. Yeah. And that was my way of maintaining. And uh, once you realize, you tap into and understand that, that you're powerful from within and, and, and Allah has blessed us with, with, with such great understanding and wisdom and intellectual ability, it's in there. We just got to tap in. And I had the opportunity to tap in and I became very humble, a loyal, righteous servant for Allah at that time. And uh, by the grace of God, I still am on that track. The al Mustaqim.
1: Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yes. yes, that that is the uh the straight path that that leads to victory. Uh and that's a, that's for those who are listening and you don't um uh understand the the Arabic terminology. That is that is the path it's the, it's the communal path. It's not the path yes. of an indiv- individual. It's the path of the the community, the 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 yes. successful community that understands its obligation and its potential is relying upon its uh ability to move together. So let me ask. So while you were advocating for yourself, did you ever um, did you ever have to did you help anyone else while you were also, you know, in the pro- in your own process or were you kind of laser focused, um, you know, just, you know, trying to complete your own uh, goal?
0: I mean, that's a great question, Brother Tyree. And uh, I'll tell you like this. We are nothing without each other. In order for me to attain what I attained, I had to give back. I had to help and understand that everything I I received, everything I have from within, I have a duty to give back once I attain that. So I helped many, many individuals because many individuals helped me. So I helped guys with their legal work. I wrote letters for guys. I typed up letters. I did a lot of stuff for individuals because I knew in return it will come back tenfold and that it was the right thing to do. If a man needed a suit, I got it, it's yours. If a man needs socks, pants, shirts, whatever, I got it, it's yours. And that way of living became just so just so enriching and so beautiful for me. And even today, I still live with the same principles because I know and believe that the more we give, the more we receive. So, so sure, I did a lot of legal work. I learned the law. By the grace of god inside and out. i did petitions for individuals i filed most mandamus uh prohibitions i filed, i found different uh habeas corpuses to the united states supreme court uh, yeah. federal courts for guys state court i, I filed mm-hmm. guys couldn't write you know read or write so i typed letters for them or, or or write letters out for them you know just do things keep them in contact with their families anything i can do i gave because i know that it comes back and i kept that faith throughout the entire 27 years and it came back all of it came back it's like when the blessings started coming they start pouring mm-hmm. and they never stopped yeah i can remember times i didn't have money to just file for legal send my legal mail out and the people tell me uh, mr gardner come down anytime you, you've you been doing this for so long anytime you need to send it out and you don't have money you come and we will let you send it out don't worry about it wow and individuals if i needed something individuals automatically Mr. Gardner, this is for you. Here, this is for you. I, I honestly can say that I never went a day in there without.
1: Alhamdulillah.
0: praise be here. God. Mm. It's just been, it's just been a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful ride. And and I don't, I don't dwell on the, the alleged or perceived negatives that 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 occur. I always strive to, to link up with the positives and stay on the positive. You mm. know, that's, so that's, that's the way of life.
1: Uh, I think that in itself it definitely makes um, you know, your account remarkable because as I'm looking to looking at you, um, you know, I, I can see the light in you. And when we go through uh difficulties, uh sometimes yes. we can be defined by those or we can allow them to reveal aspects of ourselves that we were not aware of. Now you were yes. you were working towards a business degree, right? Prior yes. to uh your uh wrongful incarceration. Um, yes. So t- tell me, what was how did your attitude towards education change after being incarcerated, as opposed to when you were on this single track of I'm just going, you know, I'm working for this uh, particular degree?
0: You know, uh, again, brother, powerful questions. You know, I really I'm I'm really uh, feeling you, bro. I, I got to <laughs> say this. Alhamdulillah. Education is the key. To success, and and as individuals have said throughout the ages, there is no dumb Muslim. Information right. and, and, and 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 you have to apply yourself. You have to read, become informed. And I was blessed to continue to take every class that I could take while inside. Some classes twice, mm. and I attained three degrees while inside. I kept, I kept, I stayed busy. You know, I, I I got my restaurant management degree, business business management, and general study. But the thing mm. of it all is, I continue to stay busy. There's not one day. If I'm moving somewhere, I'm moving in a direction because I got something to do. I'm taking care of something. I'm not just walking fast. I'm just moving. I'm moving <laughs> with intent. That's right. So, so it's so beautiful because I stress that every every young brother, every sister, everyone I come across with, continue to educate yourself. Continue to grow. Continue to to reach for higher for higher goals and objectives. Don't become complacent. Or, or, or content with the current status continue to grow change is the only constant and every day change occurs. So you have to be capable of growing and moving. And I just didn't focus on my legal issues because that would have ran me crazy. Hmm. I focused on my legal issues. I focused on my, my educational opportunities, my college degrees. I focused on my health, working out daily, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I focused on giving back as I said, i stated and, and, I, and I have a acronym for my gardener way. And I, I tell people that's the way I've done it. And I, and I always go with that aid, that altruism, mm. altruism, being able to understand that others are, are, are important and, 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 and have a concern for others first and foremost. And the individuals around me, I mean, it became a way of life, man, just to be able to inform, getting guys to work out. And I'll get them on the weight pile working out when they come in. Can I work out with you, brother? That's what they say. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I work out; in strict. Yeah. And I'll get them to the working out. Next thing you know, I got them read. Next thing you know, I got them living a certain way of life, and they're watching me. I don't have to run around and say and talk about what I'm doing. Let your let your actions show. You know, by like, your walk. That's right. Walk your walk. Mm-hmm. So individuals, man, they would they would take on this 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 this, this sense of oneness with, with with the law, and and have an opportunity to really understand that they have greatness from within. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people that, look, you are not defined by your last act on the street, or you are not defined by a perceived negative that that society may view you from or of. Mm -hmm. You define you. So I just, I live with intent, man, and and I'm, I'm thankful, I'm blessed, I'm humble, and as I told you, I'm 54 years old.
1: Don't look it's, like it, y'all can't it's a, see. It's,
0: them. A, it's a blessing, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's so funny because you mentioned about my hair. Yeah. And guys inside, they make fun of me because they be like, they be like Jamal, and that's you know that's my my attribute's Jamal. Yeah. They be like Jamal, you're, man, you, you got mayonnaise in your hair. And I and I walk around I say, yeah, I got mayonnaise in my hair because these folks going to sell black hair care products, and mm. I got mayonnaise for conditioning. And I got the eggs in there and I got I got all this mayonnaise in my hair and i have, have in there maybe an hour or two, but I'm letting it condition. Yeah. And then I'll wear the calamine lotion on my face. I have the different uh aloe, you know, I had to break the aloe plant, I put that on my face, I'll keep my beard, but it's a way of life. Yeah. And and that way of life is the only way. And I'm healthy today. And I'm thankful. And I tell people I haven't I've never had a headache. I eat my onions. I got a lot of different uh, remedies. I ate my onions. I haven't had a cold flu since 1990. Mm. And, and I just live in accordance to how Allah has put me on this earth. I'm so blessed. And I give all that praise to Allah and I and I, and I stay humble. That's a very important key, staying humble. Yeah. Not moving beyond yourself and understanding, or getting too high and, and puffy, you know? Stay humble
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I have been blessed we all have been blessed. I've been blessed so bountifully. Yes. And I'm so yes. thankful. I'm so thankful, brother.
1: So yeah. thankful. I got duty to give back. Yeah. Tell me this. Um I- I'm glad you bring up that point about there not being access to uh hair products, right? For for uh for yeah. black folks, which I find really amazing considering the disproportionate numbers that we represent, you know, in, in the uh in the correctional facilities.
0: Well, I gotta state that I was in West Virginia. That's okay. 98, 98, 99% white okay. in the institution.
1: All right. So,
0: All right. so I was in the minority. And 1,500 out of 1,500 prisoners, yeah, uh, I don't refer as inmates. Out of 1,500 prisoners, yes, there were approximately maybe a hundred when I first went in. Not even a hundred. Probably 70, 75 black people, black men, black men in prison, and mm. and that was out about 1,500. Really? And they didn't have the black hair care products. We couldn't wear our beards. I had to file lawsuits for that. They didn't have Islam in there. So, so myself and guys from New Jersey, New York, Georgia, Florida, California, Ohio, Virginia, all of us came together and we began to to uh, put our grievances in, asking about Islam, letting us be able to get certain literature. Let us be able to get our prayer deeds, get our Qurans, get our, get our essentials. What we need to practice our faith. So yeah. we had to file under a loop, and we had to make sure we file to to get what we needed. And today, their things are those things are are, are relevant in the institution, and they're able to purchase these items, and they're able to, to have Ramadan inside, participate in Ramadan, and in Shawwal. Yeah, you know, and, and they're able to do these things. If they pray on the, on the yard, or be able to pray. In the chaplain and and wherever we were able to congregate and have our talims and I mean it's beautiful, but we went through something. Yeah, we went through something.
1: Mm-hmm. There was
0: a lot of punitive segregation time, individuals for speaking out about what we believed in and, and trying to trying to get our our voices heard and trying to get Islam respected in the institution because there was no Islam. There was barely blacks.
1: So, so in, in that this, kind of dynamic being yeah. it, you know with being such a minority um was it did it was it a natural occurrence that there was a community amongst the uh uh the the black prisoners um
0: yes yes another good question yes there was and most you know most of the um most of the brothers would uh they would hold I, I'll never forget this man I'll never forget this this was in 1992 and uh the brothers the brother said, uh, "Uh, brother Florida. They called me Florida because you know I'm from Tampa, Florida." Right. They said, "Florida, uh, we got a meeting tonight. We got an HNIC meeting. We're trying to find <laughs> out um, um, what, uh, what what's going on within our community, and we, we want to invite you to come." I said, "What is HNIC? I never heard of it." They said, "Uh, head, you know, in, in in charge." Right. And I was like, "You know what? I'm not involved in that silliness." I said because I, right now, you know, I said to even go to a group talking about who's the head NIC. I right. said, man, I I like to bring you guys into some consciousness, but they right. looked at me as crazy. To be honest with you, they're like, man, this brother crazy. <laughs> right. But what I did, I got my protection because I knew I was in a situation where I was uh, not the norm, abnormal.
1: Yeah.
0: So so I kind of stayed away from a lot of group things like that because. It, it was so many things going on within those individuals in there, getting information, taking it back to the warden. Most of them got sad to say. A lot of guys are working for the warden and working in the institution. It was it was a different environment for me. Yeah. So I said, "Look, I know my code is on point. So if I'm by myself, if, I, if I'm gonna stay in this situation to keep my distance, I'm gonna be all right. I'm right. gonna protect me at all costs." And that's when I went to <laughs> that's when I went to a punitive segregation for two years. <laughs> 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 but uh, by the grace of God. You know it, it turned out to be a blessing and uh i'm thankful for, for for the opportunity to to grow you know it's about continual growth yeah and you
1: know
0: not becoming complacent or stagnating
1: yeah growth let me let me ask this about the uh the timeline when you look back over your experience what are the moments that you recognize not just the importance not just the uh the revelation itself but when the revelation became relevant to you
0: well i mean that's that's so there's a lot of times you know 27 years is a long time yeah and there's a lot of times that you know certain revelations came to me even in the beginning 1989 when i was when i was charged and i was in jail you know um things happened but i can recall that trial you know something very powerful happened on my day of uh sentencing mm-hmm. and uh you know i was and before, and I and I always speak about this. This was a powerful day to me. And and my mom and my grandmother, they were there, and you know they they were they were crying. And I you know I was trying to convey to them. Don't cry, mama. Don't cry, grandma. Y'all stay stay strong. Don't don't allow these people to see you cry. Don't let them don't let them uh, have joy in your pain. Don't let them have that. And and I tell you, I I went on to to, to, to curse out the judge. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I went off and I told him I'd be back in that courtroom. And that was a very powerful day for me because, uh, I mean, I was a young man, 20, 22 years old at the time. And I was a young man and, and I just, and I just didn't, I didn't know anything else to do with self act out from emotion. And when I did that, you know, I just, said, it gives me the honor to, to send you to a, 110 years total time. And uh, he, he called me a minister of society. And I told him, you don't know me, you'll see me again, I'll be back. And that man never let me back. He never reviewed my my case for a period of 23 or 20, 23 years. twenty From 1990 to 2012, 22 years, he never reviewed my case. Mm-hmm. And he kept me lingering. And, and going through the process because you gotta exhaust, you gotta exhaust in order to go to the next level. Right. And when I mean exhaust, you have to exhaust your remedies. You have to go through your state court remedies to get to your federal court, then go from the federal court to the United States Supreme Court. I never had relief. I never had review in state court because this judge stayed on my case for 22 years Wow. without allowing it to move. Wow. And I filed all type of like I say, mandamus, prohibitions. I I filed judicial ethics complaints, I filed to the Supreme Court, I filed trying to get him off, trying to get moved to no avail. And throughout those years, I learned a lot and things, so much, so many things happened. So, so many things happened. And and I I just re- recall in 2012 when I filed in the federal court on a prayer, because I didn't have a standing to be in federal court. And the guy by the name of Cornell Day, we call him Jump Shot. Jump Shot told me, he said, hey man, put one of your state court petitions in as an exhibit to let the federal court know that you do have something. He said, man, you got you got grounds, you got evidence excluding you as the perpetrator. You have DNA evidence excluding you. I said, I said, well, it costs a lot of money. I said, man, that's 78 pages plus on top of the, all the pages I have in my petition and the, and the exhibits. He said, don't let money you from attaining your liberty and your life. He mm-hmm. said, don't let money. He said, forget about the money. And I, and I took his, I took his advice. Thank you. Dumpshot, and I filed and I sent all, of, all that in. I had sent five copies and everything. So I boxed everything up and sent it to the, uh, sent it to the federal court.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, the judge actually <clears throat> denied my case, but he brought me in the federal court because I, he said, I reviewed the exhibit and from the exhibit, he has shown that he has a prima facie, a facey case. So I'm going to bring him in and bring everything in the federal court. And now you have an opportunity to to uh, have all of your grounds reviewed for the first time, de novo. Wow. And 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 that's what happened. I went in. That was a that was a powerful, powerful moment. November of twenty thirteen. That's when I got accepted in the federal court. And and one of the things I always share with people about a, a moment. It really came to me. <clears throat> I was in my month 46 waiting in federal court, trying to wait on my on my decision from the federal court judge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want people to know I spent 23 years in state court and 46 months in federal court. And in that 46 month, I was leaving the wait pile getting ready to go eat. And a butterfly landed on my hand. I- and, and I don't know if you if you guys I usually keep a butterfly somewhere around, uh-huh. but I have butterflies as my as my um my symbol now, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that butterfly is my symbol. I don't have one on me right now, but anyhow, that butterfly landed on my hand, and it was a beautiful blue butterfly, and he stayed on my hand. He didn't fly off. He didn't fluster. He stayed on my hand for over. Well approximately about two hours. What? And I walked, I walked around the, 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 the recreation yard. I didn't go eat. I didn't work out. I didn't do anything that day, but walk around the yard with this butterfly on my hand. And I walked with him and I tell guys, please don't don't fluster him. Guys were following me and they were like, man, you got a <laughs> butterfly on your head. And I walked around and, and, and I was calm. And the butterfly, you know, normally you you, you think the butterfly was good? The butterfly was calm. And it was just calm, and it stayed on my hand. And I walked, and I'm talking with guys, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just admiring the butterfly. And I tell you, at the time, this butterfly got ready to fly off, and it flew off, and it flew straight over the barbed wire fence. I watched it, and you talk about a sign. That mm. was my moment of clarity that my time in the institution is over. That mm. was me flying over that fence, and I and I and I tell you that was so powerful. Yeah, I start. I started crying in tears, and, and and I watched them fly on my way peacefully. And I tell you, three days after that, my mother Miss Gladys Gardner, I call her, and she told me, "Baby, go ahead and pack all your stuff." I went in the closet and I prayed. My mother's Christian. <laughs> she I went she in went the closet and, I and she said, <laughs> like, "God told me you're coming home. Pack up everything. You're coming home." That same fr- the Friday. Approximately five days later, that was on Sunday. On Friday morning, I got the call from my, from my attorney, my, my research and writing expert. And he said, Mr. Gardner, are you standing or sitting? I said, I'm, I'm standing. He said, you might want to sit down. I said, no, tell me what you got. He said, well, the day your conviction was overturned, your sentences were vacated, and now he said, they're going to have to retry you, electrical only. He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel good. He said, you don't sound like it. I said, yeah. He said, why, why aren't you excited? I said, I already knew you know, that's that's when you got faith and you believe and you know. Yeah. The sign with the butterfly was from God and I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. And no one could have told me anything. And then mother came and she reaffirmed that her from her her sign from God. I said, Oh my. I knew it was over. But then in the state of West Virginia decided they were gonna retry me. Yeah. On all charges and try to give me the same time back. Mm. Five months went by. I'm telling my lawyers not gonna be another trial. This yeah. is over. I know this is over. I'm working with the law team in Beckley, West Virginia. I'm in the law firm working with them. I have an office. They gave me an office and everything. I'm working, they said we can't win the case without you, Mr. Garden. Would you please come in and work with us? I my yes I will. And I did that five months.
1: Wow. And I mean,
0: the state of West Virginia ended up dismissing all charges. We brought our expert in; they dismissed all charges before there was even a trial, maybe two or three days before trial started. Mm-hmm. Dismissed all all charges with prejudice. Why? Wow. I already knew. Them. All right, be that
1: trial. is part one of our interview with you know, they, Brother Jimmy C. Gardner. Uh, spent 27 years uh, falsely imprisoned. He now advocates for those who are wrongfully imprisoned, and he also advocates for prison reform. Uh, and sentencing reform so you can keep up with us on social media black glue podcast on facebook twitter and instagram as a matter of fact on twitter the glue has no e so that's black glu podcast and you can email us at the black glue podcast at gmail.com that's the black glue podcast at gmail.com if there's any benefit that has come from this it is only due to the mercy of the most high and the mistakes are our own. So, I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen, leaving you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be you First off, all praises Allah saved him. The black man and African from enslavement. So, I love is thing, can never deface it. The of y'all that follow us, hella racist. Face it, we was taught to hate black. So, the lighter you is, the more you attract. I'm finna pull coats here and choke fear When the smoke clear. we still black, so oh dear By my skin, breathe them grief All we want is a hoot instead of beef Poor folks, all broke, but more jokes, yeah We worn out, some of us drinking and snort dope 400 plus